Let us pray. Dear Father, we came today to worship you, and we pray so that you can impress our hearts and minds with your Holy Spirit. Use me as your channel and bless all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you ever have a chance to look at the city lights at night from above? Maybe from an airplane, or maybe from a city tower, or maybe from your apartment, from the window in a multi-story building. If so, the city lights are amazing, right? They are beautiful. They transform darkness. They transform and overcome dark reality. Light is very essential. It is very important. Without light, we would not have the same quality of life. Although, it is very interesting that it is very difficult to define light because we cannot touch it, we cannot hold it, but we can see it and we can feel it. And maybe you read a short story by C.S. Lewis, The Man Born Blind. There he described how it is difficult to describe to a man who never saw light what light is all about. Interestingly, light not only provides opportunities for us to see, but also provides opportunities to function better, to read, to write, to cook, to do something. It is much easier and much more effective when we have light. Light heals, improves physical health, warms us up, fosters growth of plants, and makes us happy. In the Bible, the word light is used many times. And if you look at English language Bible, in King James Version, it is used more than 200 times there. In the Old Testament, the word light is used 177 times. And in the New Testament, 95 times. And if you compare the King James Version with the New International Version, you can still see that the word light is also used more than 200 times. 139 times in the Old Testament and 93 times in the New Testament. So we know that the word light is very important in the Bible. We can also see that the word light is applied to God in the Bible. God is light and he dwells in light. And we read in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 15 and 16 verses, God, the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever and ever. And we also read in Psalm 104, verse 2, you are dressed in a robe of light. Isn't it beautiful? What a beautiful picture of our God. We also read in the Bible that God provided physical light to our world.
world. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, as we read in the first chapter of Genesis. And not only physical light, but also God provided spiritual light to us through Jesus Christ. And we read in Matthew chapter 4:16, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And we also read about Jesus in first chapter of John, verses 9 and 10. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. So the true light that gives light to everyone who is coming into the world. Very beautiful picture of our God. God also provides spiritual light through his Bible, through his word. And we read that the word light applies actually in the Bible to the scripture. For example, in Psalm 119, verse 105, we read, Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And we see that people who study the Bible, they actually see the light in his light. In the Bible, believers also called the channels of light. We are called to shine in the Bible. And you can read in Matthew chapter 5, 16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And we can also read in the prophet Isaiah chapter 60, verse one, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. So we see that in the Old Testament in this verse, God calls like corporately the people of Israel to shine. And the New Testament in that verse, we see that he calls everyone individually also to shine. And you probably know that Ellen White, she used very often this expression, channels of light. And for example, in the Testimony for the Church, volume two, page 632, she says, every follower of Jesus has a work to do as a missionary for Christ in the family, in the neighborhood, in the town or city where he lives. And who, and all who are consecrated to God are channels of his light. But how does it apply to our situation today? How can we apply this to our history, Adventist history, to the history of our movement? And today I would like to show with you some stories from the history of Adventist movement. Stories that show to me personally that God is responsible for his light that God calls all of us to be channels of light and that God cares about his light. You know that we are two days apart right now from the date of great disappointment, right? On Monday, we will have October 22. And in 1844, 
It was a day of great disappointment for many believers who believed and waited for the second coming of Jesus. And probably you know that nobody exactly knows exact number of people who waited at that time for the second coming of our Lord. There were thousands and thousands. And on that day, they gathered together in small groups, in different homes, and they waited for the Jesus to come. And maybe you know that Miller and his friends and his family, they also gathered together and on his farm, and they went to the Ascension Rock. They called it late Ascension Rock because they believed it was on his property, kind of a rock with a flat surface on top. Although it, it is not that stable to stay there, but they stood there looking upwards because they waited for the Lord and they thought that they will be ascending from this rock. You know, in the state of New York, in another place near Port Gibson, another group was waiting for the second coming of the Lord. They gathered together in a home of Hiram Edson. And maybe you heard from different seminars that Hiram Edson was a farmer, but he also was a very educated man, and he participated also in publications of the second coming of Jesus. So a group gathered together in his house, and they waited the whole day, and they waited the whole evening, and they waited through the night, and they waited till dawn as many other groups of believers, and Jesus did not come. It was a great disappointment. People were confused. They were frustrated. And somebody even stood up there and said, maybe there is no God. Maybe we believed in way. And Hiram Edson stood up and said, no way. We cannot say that. Because God already has provided so many opportunities for us to see that he is, he is caring for his light. He shares his light. He was sending his light to us at many occasions. We need to trust. He will share his light with us. But people were confused. Some people left in silence. And some people stayed. And they decided to go from the house to the barn on his property and to pray more, to pray about enlightenment, to pray about additional vision, about additional light, because they did not know how to live further in this world after this disappointment. So they went to the barn. They knelt down. They began to pray. And historians said that while they were praying, Supernatural peace came to their hearts. And they all felt assurance of God's presence. And they felt that God will provide. And they need to trust in him. And he will provide the additional light. They did not know when and how, but they felt the peace. They returned back. Some people left, but already not with the heavy hearts. One person stayed, they had breakfast, and then Hiram Edson said to him, to his friend, let's go now, 
Let's go and visit our believers who are confused and frustrated. Let's share the good news that we had received peace and assurance. God will send his light. And so they decided to cross the cornfield to go to the believers that lived there. And while they were crossing the cornfield, his friend was first ahead of him, and Hiram Edson was behind. And when Hiram Edson reached the middle of the field, he felt as somebody put a hand on his shoulder. And what do you usually do when somebody put a hand on your shoulder from behind? Usually we turn around, right? So he also wanted to turn around, and at that moment he saw the heaven opened. And he saw the heavenly sanctuary. And he saw that Jesus was going from the section of the holy place to another section of the most holy place. And he understood that this day was not a day of great disappointment. This day was a day of great appointment, as somebody said. When Jesus fulfills the prophetic prophecy, it was not his coming to the earth. It was his coming from one section of the heavenly sanctuary to another. And one sister just shared with me this morning that her grandma used to, to tell them that if you replace the D in disappointment with H, it will become his appointment. So it's true, this day of great disappointment has become a day of great appointment and a day of his appointment. So his friend that was ahead of him and that just reached the border of the cornfield, by, by, uh, he stood by the fence, he turned and he's, he saw that Hiram Edson was in the middle, not, you know, moving ahead. And he asked him, what are you doing there? With his face uplifted, so he did not understand what happened. And Hiram Edson replied, he's answering our prayer. It's a very interesting story because it shows to us that God is responsible for his light. And God is eager to share it with us. And do you know what Hiram Edson and this friend did? They not only went and shared this light, additional light that they had received with other believers, they decided to publish an article. And they wanted not only just describe what happened with them, but they wanted to show from scripture, from the Bible, because the word of God is also our light, his light. And from Bible, from his light, we see light. So what they did, they gathered together a team that already participated in publications about second coming, and they began to study the scripture, to, to see for themselves where in the scripture they can see that this exactly happened on that day in the universe, and they found and so the doctrine on sanctuary was born, we can say, from the study of the Bible. They published an article, and this article went, uh, you know, was published 
in the day dawn and his wife, Hiram Edson's wife, she even sold some silverware to help with, to help with publishing. But you know, it was in the New York State with this group of believers who were around Hiram Edson. But there were many other groups. And at that time, there was no um, iPhone messages, no Facebook, no electronic email. So people could not communicate that freely and that quickly as we do right now. And the article that they published was published in April 18, 1845. So you can imagine that in between people, some people got the article, it was several months already. So what did God do? In New York State, because most of the believers were located in the New York State and New England State. So in the state of New England, God decided also to share his light. And he shared his light also in very unique and maybe unexpected way. He shared through a girl, 17-year-old, Ellen Harmon. She was sick at that time. And those of you who know her history know that she was very weak and she was quite, quite often sick. And at that time, and you can imagine that it was fall season, also not very warm, and probably she catched cold or something, and she was coughing terribly. She could not, you know, recover during several days. And she stayed with one family, Mrs. Hines, at Portland. And she even lost her voice. She could only whisper. And on that day, not long after the day of great appointment, let us call it this way, she, with this family, decided to have a family worship. And five of them, including Ellen, they knelt down. And of course, they also were confused and frustrated because at that time they did not hear about revelation in the New York state. They did not know what happened on this day of October 22, but they continued to trust and believe. And while they were praying, Ellen received a vision. And probably you know that this first vision of Ellen White was called the vision of the straight and narrow path. Remember that? And you probably know who read about this vision that she saw a straight and narrow path. And on that path, people were going to heaven in Jerusalem. And all around was very dark, but they had a great light behind of them that lightened their path. And that light was called in the vision a midnight cry. So this is like symbolic definition of the Millerites movement message. And those people who, came, who became frustrated with this midnight cry or lost their faith, they fell from this narrow and straight path. And those who continued to believe, they continued to move forward. And so she saw an angel who explained her that and explain they, they need to fix their eyes on Jesus. And if their eyes will be fixed on Jesus, he will help them through. And this young girl, 17-year-old, very weak, who even could not speak at that moment, was called to share the message. Isn't it interesting that God sometimes uses the weakest 
to share the greatest news. So, after much struggle, she decided to share. And it's interesting that she shared it several times after that, shortly after that. And she still did not recover. But every time she began to speak about that, the voice came clear as if she was recovered. And so people can hear and can understand. But as soon as she finished describing the vision, she again went to whisper. And she again was coughing and not well. And maybe it was a sign that it was God's provision. After that, she visited several meetings. And in one of them, she saw actually James White, her future husband. And James White, at that time, he was already recognized and prominent preacher. He was a preacher in the Millerite movement. And he himself experienced also God's power and even supernatural circumstances several times. And one time, when he was preaching about the second coming of Jesus, still when they were waiting you know, for this day, October 22, uh, once he was preaching and a crowd of people who were unhappy with this message, they surrounded the house and they were throwing snowballs. It was during the winter time. And even iron spikes, and one spike even went to his head. And so when he, the meeting was over and he left the house and the crowd was still there, he saw a noble, tall man who came close to him, took his hand and led him through the crowd. And when the man led him through the crowd, he wanted to thank this man. And when he turned, there was nobody there. And he understood that an angel was sent to help him. So James White knew it well that God can use supernatural power to help his people. And maybe that's why he believed the message of this 17-year-old. You know that Ellen White became a very prominent and prolific writer, the most translated Christian author around the world. And it started from this prayer meeting when they humbly were asking for a light because they were confused. But you know, God also wanted to share not only what happened on October 22, God also wanted to share the truth about Sabbath because you know that at that time, most Christian denominations, they actually kept Sunday, except of Sabbath, and instead of Sabbath. And so it was interesting that, you know, alongside with the publication on what happened on October 22, an article appeared, published by one man who wrote about Sabbath. He wrote about Sabbath, that Sabbath is the true day of God. And one family in another state, in Paris, Maine, one family by the name Stowell, they lived at that time with another family, the family of Andrews. And you probably know the name of John Andrews. So these are his parents. 
And his parents were very prominent in, in this uh, uh, city, and his uncle was a congressman, so it's very respectful family. And their friends, Stovels, who was the part of the Millerites movement, they sold a farm and they temporarily lived together with them in the same house. So a man from that another family, Stovel, he came home and he brought a tract about Sabbath, reprinted from this publication that was printed at, uh, in a Portland um, paper. And this tract, this uh, article about Sabbath, written by Preble, was put on the table. And his daughter, 15-year-old Marianne, she was passing by and she saw a tract that she did not see before on the table. She took it, she read it, and while she read it, she became convinced that the seventh day, uh, day Saturday, is real Sabbath from the Lord. She became so convinced she, that she found her brother, Oswald, and she showed him the article. Brother was about 17 at the time. They both read and they both decided to keep Sabbath from that day. And I don't know why, they were afraid to tell their parents, and they even did not ask parents, but they kept the next Sabbath secretly, abstaining from all the things that they possibly can in home duties. After the first Sabbath passed, Marian decided to share with their friend Andrews, John Andrews, from the family where they were renting this place. So she found Andrews and she said, John, I have an interesting article. Can you read that? And John was himself at that time 16 years old. So they were like the same age and they were friends. John read the article and became convinced. He found Marian and he told her, I read the article. Did your parents read that? And she said, no. But I and my brother, we began to keep Sabbath. And he said, yes, the Sabbath is the, the true day of God. We need to keep it. And she said, maybe you need to give it to your parents. So he brought the article to his parents. His parents read the article, became convinced. They threw, took this tract with this article, and they brought back to the Stowell family, to the parents. And th that these parents read the article. And these both families, they began to keep Sabbath. They became so convinced in that truth, they shared, they sent this tract to another family in the same region, Stevens family, who were also part of the Millerites movement. And now three families, this is spring 1845, they began to keep Sabbath. And interestingly, that John Andrews, you know probably that he became a prominent church leader later. And approximately 10 years after that, he wrote a very substantial article about Sabbath based on the scripture. But if you trace back his belief, it comes to this 15-year-old girl, a friend of the family, who shared this tract with him. And you know that John Andrews became our first official missionary who went to Europe and actually who lost her daughter. She died as a first missionary there in Europe and then he died himself. But maybe not all of us know that his son married a Swiss girl, later returned to US 
and his son was named after his grandfather, also became a medical missionary, a missionary, a medical missionary. This uh, brother of Marian, Oswald, later he became a worker in Review and Herald. And Miriam herself, she became an eyewitness of many events during this period. And she was use, used by church historians later to prove or to describe the events that took place at that time. And she wrote herself also the things that she witnessed. She actually also was present at the meeting when Ellen White, uh, you remember, probably held a Bible, 18 pound Bible on her stretched hand above her head. And she held the Bible about two hours and she was cited from the Bible, different verses. And Marian, she was present in that meeting and she was so impressed but the Bible was so high that Marian needs to take a chair and stood, you know, on the chair to look and to see if the, you know, quotations from the Bible were from the right places. It was very interesting, many events that took place during that period. But this article that uh, this family, Stowell family and Andrew's family read, was read also by Joseph Bates. And many of you know this name because he also is one of the co-founder and great leader in our movement. Joseph Bates, he read the article about Sabbath. He became convinced. And he went to Washington, New Hampshire, where a group also of first Sabbath keepers were. And he went there and discussed it. And they looked at the scripture. And in his light, they saw the light and he became a wonderful and very interesting and powerful preacher about Sabbath. He was instrumental in conversion of many people. And everywhere he went, he went with the chat on the prophet of Daniel, and he always took this chat and also with the message on Sabbath, about Sabbath. And somebody said, the same way like people in England, they carry the umbrella with them. So Joseph Bates always carried this prophetic chat because he explained to the people that the day of great disappointment became actually the day of his appointment. And so he was spreading this um, message and he was traveling across states and uh, different states. And once he came to Massachusetts and he met Rebecca Smith. Rebecca Smith was a mother of Uriah and Annie Smith. And many of you probably know the name Uriah Smith because later her son, he became also a prominent leader and editor of uh, Review and Herald. And he also uh, served the church in many functions. At that time, he was just a youth, 19 year old. His um, sister was 23 and their mother, Rebecca, was from the Millerites movement, but she was very concerned with the salvation of her children. Because after the date of great disappointment for them, the children were frustrated. The children were confused. They were not so faithful as she continued, you know, in her trust in the Lord. And when she met Joseph Bates, 
she shared her concern about her children. And he said, you need to continue to pray for them. And he scheduled several meetings in the area. And mother, although it was 1851, you can count how many years it was after great disappointment. How many? Can you count? 1851? So now you know that it was about seven years after. And you probably know that Uriah Smith, uh, that in 1844, he lost his part of his leg. And you can imagine for a boy to lose a part of his leg, it's very, very hurtful. And maybe he was waiting for Jesus' coming as nobody else, but Jesus did not come. Interestingly, when Joseph Bates scheduled the meetings, and Mother Rebecca, this is like, a, you know, like an example for all faithful parents who need to continue to trust the Lord that he is able to save their children. So she prayed and she began to ask her daughter Annie to come to the meeting to, meetings to listen. And Annie at that time was very frustrated, not only because of the disappointment of October 20 two, seven years ago, but also because of the circumstances in her life. She was very talented, very bright. She actually was a teacher in all painting and French. She finished the uh, ladies' female seminary, but she injured her uh, eyes, and at that time she was almost, almost blind. So she was kind of bitter, and she did not understand the Lord. But mother prayed. The meeting should be started tomorrow. And that night, Annie Smith saw a dream. And she saw in the dream that she was going to the meeting. And she saw that she was late to the meeting. And then when she came into the room, and the room was uh, full, and just one chair was spared at the door. And she sat at that chair. And she also saw that a man was holding a chart, prophetic chart, and explaining 2,300 days. Interestingly, Joseph Bates also saw the same dream, but from his side. He saw that he was holding a meeting, he was explaining the prophecy, the room was full, just one empty chair at the door, and then the door was open and a girl came and sat on this chair. And it what happened on that day, exactly like it was in the dream. Annie left home kind of, you know, before, and uh, before the meeting started, and she had uh, enough time to come there, but she was lost during her way. And when she came, the meeting already had started, and everything was already, every chair was occupied. So she sat at the empty, on the empty chair that was exactly at the entrance. And when she sat there, she saw a man, she saw the prophetic chart that she saw in the dream, she heard this voice about 2,300, and she believed that the message comes from the Lord. And Joseph Bates, when he saw this coming, he also recognized his dream, and he understood that God sent a girl that her mother prayed about for many years. She was very talented. She was a poetess, and in addition to her qualification. And soon after that, when she became convinced 
when she again, you know, uh, when she again began to believe that God is leading his people and why he is leading his people. And what happened on this day, 1844, October 22? She understood and she accepted the message. She wrote a poem and she sent it to Review and Herald and it was published there. And Ellen and James White, they invited her immediately to come and join the team. And she came and she served there for three years and she died after three years. And it's amazing for me how God was working for this, for this young lady so that her talents would not be lost for the church, but he embraced her and he connected her with his team during these last days. There are many interesting stories during this early period of Adventist movement. These are just few that I shared. And I would like in conclusion to tell you that let us remember that our movement has its beginning, but it does not have the end. Because God will come and we will continue. I and you are part of this great movement. God is responsible for his light. He will take care for his light. He would like to make us channels of his light, the same way like he used and make channels of light these people at the beginning of our Adventist history. Different people of different occupations of different age. The Lord is my Lord, light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In your light, O Lord, we see light. Do you remember a picture of, a of city lights during the night? Do you remember this beautiful, amazing picture? I would like to tell you that this is a picture of our world. And we are called to be this city lights. Ellen White said, I have been shown that the disciples of Christ are his representatives upon the earth, and God designs that they shall be lights in the moral darkness of this world, dotted all over the country, in the towns, villages, and cities, a spectacle into the world to angels and to men. Testimonies for the Church, Volume 2, 631. Let us remember that we cannot limit God's life by the walls of our hearts. We cannot limit God's life by the walls of our uh, sanctuary, of our church. And let us remember that it's not enough to be keepers of the light. We need to become channels of his light. May God bless you.